St. Eagle First Church, so good to be with you again. My name is Pastor Matt Wilson, and I am here with Pastor D. Kelly. Hi, Matt. <laughs> Long, dramatic pause. That was my cue, and it's the second time out of three that I missed the cue. I'm here. He's here, and we're doing well. We are hanging out, talking about 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 13 through 22 as a part of our Living Lectionary series. We take a look at the uh, lectionary passage that is before us uh, this coming Sunday, which is Mother's Day. uh, Unfortunately, I don't think mothers make it into the 1 Peter chapter 3 passage. I think that's true. 13 through 22. Um, But we're going to be hanging out here discussing it uh, as uh, we look forward to seeing how God uses it in our midst on Sunday. So we'd love to read it for us. This is coming out of the NRSV version. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteousness for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. In which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who is former who in former times did not obey. When God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water, and baptism, which is which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of the dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So as we prepare for Sunday, what are your first impressions of this passage, Dee? The uh, long dramatic pause, the dead airtime a few moments ago would have probably been better if I'd saved it for this moment. <laughs> <laughs> As, as I try and wrestle with what really is um, a, a passage that goes in a lot of different directions. It does. Yeah. It, I, I'm, it, it's not that it gets off topic. It just f- to read it out of the context of the larger mm-hmm. um, full letter of Peter makes it feel like, wow, you jumped here, then over here, then back again. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would say at least one of my first impressions is that it doesn't feel, in its first interpretation, remember his reading of it, like it lines up with many of the things that Paul says. Mm. Specific- Give me an example. So specifically around, I mean, the suffering, yes, is a component of both. Right. But when when he says in verse, uh, let me find it, verse 18, 
And he says, he was put to death as being Christ in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a, a proclamation in the spirits in prison. Like, although it, spirits in prison is kind of a weird language. I, I'm not entirely sure what that's pointing towards. You might have more insight than I on this. Yeah. Um, but the, the like, he died in the flesh, but was raised in the spirit is, is not what Paul says when Paul's like in first Corinthians 16, Paul, uh, Christ died and was raised in the body. He was like really emphasizing Christ's resurrection of the body. But Peter here makes mention of body dying, but it's spirit being raised from the dead, which kind of has its own history of, of in early Christian thought, second, third centuries, this rise of a heresy called Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, and so I think of that of like in which Gnosticism is believes that Christ came and uh, didn't come fully embodied, uh, but was fully divine. And so there's a rejection of the body as kind of the dirtiness, um, and that the spirit is what is good and what was divine about about Christ. Nothing to do with the body. It feels like Paul is has some Gnostic thought here. And that Paul or Peter? Excuse me, Peter. Yeah, Peter has some yeah. Gnostic thought here, which is a um, concerning <laughs> to me. Yeah. I mean, how, maybe you've wrestled with this a little bit more than I have. It's interesting that your assertion um, could be given additional weight by the way in which Peter talks about baptism. Yeah, says so. That's it's not for the washing of the dirt off of the body. And it's kind of the same language. It's not about the body. Yeah. It's about what happens to the spirit within. And um, it certainly could be a nod toward Gnosticism. It also, if it is in connection to that rising thought that caused early problems within the church, it might have been Peter's way to try and build a bridge between the two schools of thought. Sure, yeah. Possibility. Um, I, I don't know very much about the piece where Jesus apparently, um, before he um, experienced the resurrection, descended and spoke to the spirits in prison. There yeah. are some that say it references um, an Old Testament notion um, in the early thought of the Hebrew people that the sons of heaven married the daughters of men and Mm. created some unusual evil that took place and that eventually God uh, corralled all of those, my language, not the Bible's (laughs) language, um, but imprisoned all of them and that it was tied to the flood that took place during the days of Noah um, and that it was a cleansing of the earth in some respect. Again, mm. we don't have any of that really fleshed out in the Old Testament to yeah. know what the ideas were that were probably passed on for generations by oral tradition of some sort. And it feels like another piece that Peter is nodding towards something that we don't know much about in um, kind of the... Um, uh, cultural artifacts mm. that get passed on yeah. generation after generation. So it becomes an unusual portion of this to try and weave it into this whole argument. So I really appreciate you identifying that. And I'm not sure 
that this passage is inviting us into those kinds of things. Oh, certainly, that's not the point. But it is a context that we need to know to make yeah. sense of why it might even be in there. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I think is maybe not the point of this passage specifically, but this passage includes something that I think is very important that has to do with the entire letter that Peter has written here. And that is, as we've said before, written to aliens in a foreign land, those who have no rights, those who are suffering in a variety of ways. In fact, I need to say it again, they're suffering in ways that are beyond my comprehension. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I have not grown up this way. I, my life, to a great extent, has been privileged in so many different ways. And so to try and be part of the audience here in itself is difficult. Yeah. But here's something that I feel like um, is valuable in this passage, that this portion reiterates an author who is, I think, trying to tell his audience, I hear you. Mm -hmm. I see you. God hears you, sees you, and knows you. Apart from whatever privilege Peter might have, he certainly would experience some of their suffering more than I would, um, given some of the persecution that had taken place at the church. But I think even Peter would find himself somewhat more privileged than some of these to whom he's writing. And I think there is something that is at the heart of compassion yeah. to try and communicate simply I hear what you're saying because he again mentions suffering. He yeah. mentions fears. He mentions displacement. He, he names the things that are characteristic of where they are at this point in time. And certainly he tries to step forward in saying, and so let me tell you where I think the good news falls into this. What is yours what is the resurrection power and what it might mean in your circumstances as opposed to speaking good news like i might be prone to do that simply reinforces my experience of western culture and the u.s economy and um all of those pieces that um Sometimes I take for granted, but I think are part of God's blessing, and then kind of pile on the um, accolades of how all of that works. Ah, I think Peter is inviting all of us at all times, in all situations, to simply try and hear better. Mm, yeah. Um, and I think the reason I believe that is, is that what he, he keeps modeling that throughout this letter. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that steps off the page to me. The other piece is this is a long presentation mm -hmm. of what the resurrection is all about. Yeah, yeah. And so once again, I mean, I feel like we will hit this, have already hit it several times, and again on a Sunday morning to say, where is it you see the resurrection? Mm -hmm. Where have you... Where are blinders keeping you from seeing that it's all around? But particularly, how does the resurrection step into the dark places 
the the very shadowy places of life's mm-hmm. journey. Yeah. And and is there any way in which I can be part of that resurrection message? Yeah. Um Anyway, those are some of the things that begin to arise for me. I think one of the things for me that it ties into what you've said is that that's what Peter might be meaning by uh, always be ready to make your... It, the word here in English is defense. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in the Greek, it's the word apology. Oh, As in like the apology of... Uh, I just now lost the guy, uh, Plato, Plato's apology. Yeah. Um, the field of and, apologetics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That That's kind of where it morphed into. Yeah. Um, that we get the apology in Greek philosophy of trying to explain like, well, this is the, what I've tried to do with my life. And this is the, what it means to have this flourishing um, uh, life as, you know, for Socrates and Plato, it's the life of a philosopher, right? Um but it's but for Peter the 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 apology the defense is a life found in Christ in Christ's resurrection um, to to your point and therefore it's not just like a life of the mind that's included but it is how the mind then is um, translated into our behavior mm. and then and then therefore like when we do incur suffering it is going to be for the good because we've aligned ourselves with our minds and our action. Um, and to be able to explain that, I think, is kind of what Peter is calling us towards. I, I love that you say that because it goes back to two weeks ago where it seems like Peter, at least in portions of his letter, is using a genre that wouldn't be completely unfamiliar to the culture, and that was a treatise of how then we live. Yeah. Which is kind of what the Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, those kinds of teachings follow a particular pattern. Mm-hmm. But it appears, I think many would say, that that genre typically targets those who are in power or mm. have the privilege to have a life of reflection. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and Peter is doing something radical by writing in this manner to those who aren't in power mm-hmm. and trying to help um, communicate that the good news has application there in how you live in those difficult places of oppression or submission or um, disenfranchisement or whatever it might be. Yeah. And it then becomes a radical use of the genre. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that is worth exploring more as we dig into this passage. Look forward to, uh, look forward to Sunday. Thanks, Matt. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, too.